Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. If you feel you need to do more to build, sustain, and nurture your community, this interview is for you. I've invited Jono Bacon, a former guest, back on the podcast to talk about community building. Jono got his stripes as Ubuntu community manager for Canonical, so he kind of knows a thing or two about communities. This episode is a deep dive, maybe just a little irreverent. Okay, let's take it away. Jono, welcome back. Hello, welcome back it's great to, to the be. Box Gig podcast. Uh, wow, a lot has happened. Uh, yes. A lot has happened. Uh, has there been has there been trouble in paradise? Have you started a new company? Are you doing new things? A lot has changed since we last talked. Um, I mean, I was doing. I, I, the short answer is yes. I launched something called the Community Leadership Core, um, which is an accelerator, uh, and it's really designed for companies who have invested in building communities or, or DevRel to just really deliver consistent growth and engagement every quarter, and it's. It's a, a mixture of hands-on coaching, training, accountability. It's all kind of tailored to someone's company. Um, and uh, that was kind of where I got to. And the, the journey to, to this point was arduous, painful, and incredibly annoying. Because um, I was... Sounds like, sounds like developer relations Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. You know, because I, I had a consulting business that I've been... You know, I started consulting in 2008 on the side when I wrote the art of community and put that out there and companies would reach out and say, Hey, could you help us with, with implementing some of this stuff? And then I went full time with, uh, consulting back in 2015, I think it was. Um, and everything was going great. I was like fully booked and like my clients and was making plenty of money and all that kind of stuff. But I was just getting a little bit, um, a bit disillusioned and a bit bored with it. And I wanted to kind of mix things up and have a broader impact. Uh, you know, and I was like, I tried, played around pre-recorded training and group coaching and all these other pieces and then basically ended up landing where I am today. So, you know, but that's the fun of it, right? Is yeah, have a go, see what yeah. works, see what doesn't work and uh, drink a bunch of coffee in the process. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it's a survival story and I, I would I would have my own one <laughs> due to COVID. <laughs> uh, we'll, get, yeah. we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. Okay, but what, what do you actually do? So I'm, am I, am I, uh, uh, SaaS company with an API and an SDK that suddenly wants to build a community? Do I talk to you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of my members are um, companies with a, a tech product or service. Uh, it's not exclusively DevRel, but it's a big chunk of my mm. current uh, membership is, is DevRel companies. And it's where you've, you've hired a DevRel person or, um, or a community manager or an evangelist. And... Um, you need to make sure that you can show results to justify why you've invested in those folks um, and to, to build your business, but also to build an amazing experience for your community members, for your developer community um, or other community. Um, so what I provide as part of the community leadership core is everything that kind of wraps around achieving that. So from, you know, from the leadership perspective, it's putting in um, accountability and workflow to make sure that at the end of every quarter, you can really clearly say like what you accomplished, what you delivered, and how that ties to the goals of the business. But from the perspective of the people on the ground with their sleeves rolled up, with their veins full of energy drinks and kind of cranking, 
it's providing an environment where uh, you can grow your skills. You can always get help, to, uh, for, you know, and, and solutions to your, to your questions and be part of a group of other people who are on a similar journey, a similar pathway. Like a big chunk of it is people not just learning from me, but learning from their peers uh, and and feeling that sense of I'm not confronting these issues alone. Um, so that's kind of how it works. There are a million and one challenges building a community. So do you have a, yep. a framework that you take people through or is it more ad hoc? So I, I mean, yeah. just, just, to, just to give you like a, a concrete scenario, let's say I've got a little meetup. I'm getting 10 people a month turning up to it. I'm buying, right. buying a little bit of pizza and beer. And I, do, I'm, I'm, I keep on posting things on Twitter, but nothing is happening. It's always about 10 people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of have, um, uh, I have like a multitude of frameworks to solve di to solve different pieces of the problem, and I, I broadly break it down into what are the strategic and tactical things that you do to get more people to your meetup, to get more people into your Discord or whatever, and then what, and then how do you, um, what is the accountability framework? How do you make sure that at the beginning of a quarter you can identify a clear set of goals, and at the end of a quarter you can show what you did and, and how you delivered it and make sure that you're always like moving forward. Um, you know, I have like a, a broader philosophical framework that kind of weaves these together, which is, I think a lot of people, um, frankly, when they build communities, they, they start too far along in the process. What they do is they say, Hey, here's our discord, here's our forum or whatever, go and check it out. And most people, when they go into a platform, like a forum or a discord channel, they get system shock. They see all these people they don't know having conversations they don't care about. It's usually a bunch of Q&A, and there's no reason for them to come back. So I, you know, the way my, my philosophical framework, I guess, I guess you could say, is that we get really clear in our audience, we define their pain points, we, we onboard them to really easy to consume value, we nurture them without necessarily even bringing them into the community yet, and then we bring them into the community, because at that point, there's already been kind of five to eight touch points um, where they've got a lot of value at very low friction. So when they come into the community, they don't have that system shock, right? They don't have that, oh my God, who are all these people? Should I care about this? Mm. They already trust that it's worth kind of going in there. Um, and then kind of all those individual pieces, like how do we define what our audience cares about and what their pain points are? How do we onboard them? How do we nurture them? I have workflow for each of those individual pieces. And then I bake it all together into a quarterly kind of quarterly management workflow which is where we're really clear on kind of goals, concerns, build out an action plan and deliver results. So everything's very structured, but it's got enough wiggle room to make sure that people can apply it to their own world. What you've just described sounds like the virtual equivalent of, I turn up at a meetup and I don't know anybody, standing in the right. corner, talk was okay, yep. but I'm not coming back. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, that it's, it's the kind of thing I think where that is exactly the experience we want to avoid. And, and I think the problem with a lot of people who approach communities is because they have spent so much time like building out their community platform or they put on an amazing meetup and they, they feel like they're providing all the value, that they're providing this great experience, that sometimes it's easy to forget what it's like to kind of get in there. Like a classic example is, is people who run webinars, right? Um, is they put together a webinar, they pick a, a subject, they build all the training slides out, they build all, all this stuff. And they're like, oh, this is going to be complete. People would love 
to come and join this. They're going to get so much out of it. My view is kind of the opposite, which is you're asking for an hour of somebody's time. Right, right. Yeah, that's it. That's better be precious. good. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's and it's like for us, like an hour might not be a big deal, but that's a lot to ask. So you got to make it worthwhile for somebody to show up to your meetup and they don't know anybody or they've never been for the like this is their first time there. That's a lot to ask. So we gotta we gotta let, like gently warm them up and get them in there. Um, and I th- the good news is I think there's so many creative ways in which we can do this. And my goal with the Community Leadership Corps has been to like just make it really easy to consume, firm these things up so it's really easy for people to get started. Well, can you give us some examples? I mean, just to get tactical for a minute. So how, how do you get somebody ready to participate at the, at the, at the actual community level? Yeah, so for example, um, um, you know, the first piece of... Uh, you know, that kind of like onboard, onboarding nurturing piece. I'll, I'll give you an example of what I do um, with my own community. Uh, often I'll run like an online event. Could be, uh, I don't like to call it a webinar because I don't run webinars. It's kind of like some training and then there's breakout groups and people have share sessions, all this kind of stuff. But basically what I do is I identify a problem that my audience has got and then I bring them in and I give them a ton of value. So I run this thing called the... Um, um, the community ignition workshop uh, last year, and it was four sessions. It's completely free, um, two sessions a week, live sessions where I would teach, and then there'd be like really practical things for people to execute and work on. And the and, and the pain point, the problem that I was solving was how do you get started building a brand new community? Um, and then what happened is people would sign up for that, uh, and even if they didn't come, they signed up to my email list. And anyone who signed up to my email has probably seen this that my emails are unbranded. Uh, very, very few sales emails, and every single email has got like it solves a problem, it solves a, it solves a, a, an issue. Um, so the idea is that they come to this free workshop, and then they continue to get like pain points solved. And I've optimized all those emails based upon where I'm seeing people having issues and challenges. I'm just, I'm sorry, my WhatsApp is blaring off right now. Um, um, and then what happens is, even if I never bring them into a community platform. They're getting a ton of value um, if they if they if they're consuming that content. But then if I do bring them into a community, like usually when I start talking to people about the community leadership core, about other things that I run, and they've received four or five of those emails, they're very receptive. So I'm a big believer in like firming something like that up for most communities. Like if we look at a meetup, for example, my recommendation would be have a really simple mechanism to get people to the meetup for the first time. Like you have, you know, you say, if you've never been to one of our meetups before, if you show up at this specific time, we'll kind of bring you in either individually or as a group and we'll welcome you, we'll introduce you to people, we'll we'll ease that process for you. And then when the meetup is done, you then start sending out like additional content and material that continues to help people learn and grow. So then they're like, holy shit, this was amazing. This was the best possible experience. I went to this meetup and I got so much more. It was easy to consume. I had great, great experience. People were really friendly. I'm going to go to the next one, right? That's how I like to approach it. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, uh, certainly the very idea of having a pathway into the community, it's shocking that it's almost revelatory. Right. Right. Um, and I think about my own experiences of attending meetups. Uh, and maybe the good ones, maybe there was somebody who was more socially aware that made that happen naturally. I do remember 
attending a meetup in, it was one of the very first times I was in San Francisco, right? Your hometown. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'd been going to uh, a couple of meetups in Dublin, Ireland, which had been, as we say here, great crack altogether, right? As in, yeah. lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> lots of yeah, yeah, yeah. lots of good, lots of good clean fun no no illegal substances um and <laughs> i was expecting the same sort of i don't know friendliness chat just general yep. camaraderie and i went to this meetup i don't know if it was representative i was in san francisco for a few meetings that i had a free evening and went to a meetup and it was like a business meeting Nobody was talking. The speaker did their thing. It was some tech talk, and everybody just left. Yeah, it sucks. There was no fun. <laughs> where, where was yeah. the fun? Uh, I, I don't know. That's probably not representative, but the, the contrast uh, was was incredible. <laughs> it's not not representative. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really there for the talk. I was there for the fun. Right. So, yeah. It, it, you remind me of uh, the, the the very first community I ever um, like in person community I ever started was a Linux user group when I went to university in uh, Wolverhampton in the UK, uh, and I started this Linux user group. And my the first meeting we had, there was me and two other people, um, and I deliberately held our meetings in a pub. Um, and uh, instead of like a boring old like university computer science department, you know, where you'd have these people droning on over slides and, you know, drinking terrible coffee out of a, you know, styrofoam cup. I was like, that sucks. I want this to be social and fun. So we'd basically all get together every two weeks in a pub, would have some food, would have some drinks. You didn't have to drink alcohol. And it was a lot of fun. And and it was exactly what you were just saying there, Richard. Like it was it was about making the human connection, and then the topic and the domain comes next. And I think and sometimes should, people yeah. forget that. And we should stress: uh, there's no need for alcohol. In fact, meetups no. that I run these days, that's not even a that's not even a feature. Um, it's it's no, it's less expected and less necessary these days. Um, yeah, yeah. I, agree. I mean. It's uh, it's about. I think it's about creating an environment where people loosen up. Alcohol is a shortcut to people loosening up, um, but it's there are many methods. I think the environment, even things like music, like when we used to run, uh, we used to run a conference in the UK called Lug Radio Live. We were very deliberate about making sure that when people entered into the venue, ACDC was playing, um, because <laughs> no one, no one on this planet dislikes acdc they're the, they're the universal band you might not be into them yeah but you don't dislike them right yeah um and it's just that good time like party rock and roll when people are walking into the venue and it it, it creates a feel it's like different to you know that terrible san francisco meetup where you walk in and everybody's looking very straight faced and stern and using the word enterprise and leverage a lot you know it's like nah that sucks yeah, I mean, I thought I thought the cool people were in San Francisco. I don't I don't know what happened. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a bit of a, a system shock. Uh, no, I, okay, so yeah, they all moved to Dublin. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I I think there is a really important point here, and it's just to be intentional about the welcoming process, whatever tactics you use. Um, yeah, that's the big message that I'm. That's what I'm hearing here, anyway. Yeah. 
for sure. Although I, I would I would caveat it a little bit with um, I think I think be intentional, um, but um, we have two mottos in the um, community leadership core. One is progress over perfection, and the other one is iterate to awesome. Um, so I think the problem with intentionality is sometimes people can get in their own heads about it. Like, oh, I heard Richard and John are talking about, you know, different mechanisms of making meetups more interesting. Oh, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to brainstorm and come up with these big ideas. And I think the most important thing is to just do something. Like there's a bunch of science that has identified that the most productive and successful people commit to action right away. They don't think, oh, I'll, 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 I'll what I learned in the Vox Geek podcast, I'm going to note that down and we'll do that a month from now. It's like, no, just get on with it now. Do something, do some semblance of what you're thinking. Um, and then you just iterate over and over and over until it's right. So I think intentionality is good, but just make sure like you get out there and have a go because people are not sitting there with scorecards judging you to see whether it was, you know, 10 out of 10. Uh, and, and the and the benefits of ha having a go and getting started far outweigh the disadvantages. Let's turn to another little scenario. Uh, so this might be based off certainly uh, some recent experiences from developer advocates that I've spoken to, that have spoken uh, in public about this issue. Uh, you get hired as a, as a developer advocate, but you're given the entire DevRel activity of the company. You have to do everything. Right. Write sample code, write articles, organize meetups, do webinars, go speak at conferences, coordinate between departments, do some customer support. Um, a lot of companies have teams that can do that, uh, but a lot of startups have inflated expectations about what a DevRel can actually achieve. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see that much in your work? And what advice would you give to somebody in that situation? Because we are here, we want to do the job, right? We love the job. We love the community stuff. Um, but how do you deal with taking on a DevRel role uh, where you're expected to shake magic pixie dust over the community and generate leads? Yeah. It's such an interesting topic, and I think there's so many layers to it. Uh, <clears throat> so a couple of thoughts on this. One is um, I think there is ambiguity. I think there's ambiguity around the, 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 the title DevRel and what that really means. There are many different incarnations of it. And secondly, I think uh, too many DevRel people don't manage this process effectively. Um, so can you give me one second, Richard? My dog is screaming. I'm going to go and let him in. I'll be back in one second. We'll have to cut this piece out. Oh, don't yes, cut will. it. People say, we'll cut it out. <laughs> one no, second. it proves you're Hang real. Pro proves you're not AI. <laughs> or does it? Or does it? <laughs> All right. Happy days. When the cleaners are here, the dog freaks out. So. <laughs> All right. Um, all right. So should I, where should I go from? Or yeah. The think? pressure on DevRels and I guess, I guess just, we're just reflecting on that as an aspect of the job. Um, so I'll give you the floor yeah. again. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there are a couple of components to this. One is, um, is defining what DevRel is. It, it, there's many incarnations of it. 
And then the second is, I think there are frankly too many DevRel folks who don't um, sufficiently manage this process um, effectively. So if we start with the first one, I don't think there's a singular definition of DevRel, right? There are people who are, when when you know they're a DevRel person, they're primarily an evangelist, right? Their incentive model, their energy comes from speaking at events, creating content, doing live streaming, stuff like that. And then you've got other DevRel people who are more on the community management side, like they live and breathe being in Discord. Yeah. And then you've got other people who love creating code samples. And I think it's a mixture of all of these pieces. Um, and I don't think we can expect founders and executives to understand or even um, differentiate between those different nuances, right? I think it's important that like, if you go for a role at a company as a DevRel person, that you clarify up front where your expertise is, what you like working on, to make sure it's a good fit for the job, to avoid those kinds of situations. Um, I'd like to think that those roles will become clearer as time goes on, but you know, I've been in this business now for over 20 years. I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's always going to be a certain amount of um, ambiguity there. Um, but I think it kind of leads to the second point, which is um, the vast majority of DevRel people who I've ever met are wonderful, talented, um, incredible people with that really magical mix of just passion for people and passion for technology. Um, but I think a lot of people don't, um, manage DevRel and think of it as a function in a business. I think sometimes they think of it as, uh, this is obviously the right thing to do to help developers to be successful and to give them a ton of value. And other people should get that, right? And it becomes sometimes somewhat evangelical in, in how people try to explain that. And the people who don't intrinsically quote unquote get that are seen as just Muppets or like they, you know, they just, they just don't understand. And I don't think you can take that view. At the end of the day, uh, if you're anyone who's listening to this, who is a founder or started a business, you know that you have to make every function in your business ultimately drive towards success for the business, whether that's revenue, whether that's your products get better, whether that reduces support costs or whatever. There's got to be a clear outcome for DevRel. Um, and I think it's absolutely essential to be proactive in mapping that out. This is, again, one of the things we do in the community leadership core is we get really clear on what those metrics are every quarter. Because otherwise, if you don't, I think what gets some people in hot water is they join a company and the founder's like, you know what? <clears throat> I just want you to go and do what you do. Like, we DevRel is super important. Go and do that. But that, max, ma that kind of magical unicorn uh, year has an end date. And if you don't have something to show concretely, around the end of that time. It won't necessarily be the founder, but some other executive is going to say, well, why are we investing in this function and not investing in, an, in another function, especially as more seasoned leadership comes into the company and starts to build it out, especially when you get into like yeah. growth stage companies. So uh, I just, I, I get really sad when I see like really good DevRel people who are just so naturally talented at what they do, but they don't manage the connection point to the impact on the business. And then they leave and they, you know, it's emotionally disruptive and awful and all the rest of it. And I think it's important that we we get clear on that. And it feels like there have been quite a few DevRel layoffs this year, right? 2023. Yeah. Um, and now that you explain it in those terms, it, it, that feels like a reasonable cause, maybe, 
or an aspect of what's been going on this year. Um, right. As companies rationalize, they go, well, what, what is this person actually doing for us? And there isn't a clear line to value. Uh, I mean, what I've also seen happen is uh, if there's a mismatch between the things you're good at and the things that are expected. So you might have produced a ton of code samples, but you didn't get a meetup off the ground. Oh, no, where's my meetup? You're fired. Right. Right. Or yeah. actually, you were hired because you're supposed to be building the community numbers. I want a thousand people in my Discord. You know, you wrote a ton, ton of code samples. Does it does it does it matter what the company is, right? Does it is there a difference between the, the very developer focused companies and the enterprise companies? Are these input factors that, that need to be considered? I, I'd say there are a couple of variables in there. Like one is what the type of product is. <laughs> if you've got a product that people can consume online that has a reasonable level of te- uh, complexity to it, I think it's rich pickings for a for a DevRel or community function, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're, um, I don't know, to pull a random example, GitLab, there's a million ways in which you can use GitLab and you can integrate that into your world. Um, <clears throat> but if you use another example, like there's a site called, like I think it's called removebackground.com or something like that. And all yeah. it does is you upload a picture and it removes the background. Yeah. Really not a lot of, you, you don't really need a community around that. <laughs> so I think um, when, you, you, when you've got a software product that can be easily consumed that's really helpful it's harder i think to build communities around hardware um for all the obvious reasons like of availability and things like that i think where there is a big differentiator is the stage of the company like if you're a early stage like first 10 people pre-seed maybe bootstrapped or angel investment um that's a very different set of dynamics um than if you're in a growth phase you've maybe received like a series a or a series b um, or if you are like, um, you know, a big enterprise company. Um, <clears throat> and I think where the bigger the company gets, the more like cross-team dynamics uh, and politics play a role in that. So, you know, if you're good at that, if you're good at cross-team politics, then yeah, work for a bigger company. But if you hate that, if that sucks for you, don't go work for a big company because you're going to be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, okay. So I have a slightly different topic. So we were talking yes. uh, before we started recording, and you were like, can I swear? And I was like, yes. So I'm going to swear first. Uh, All right. What do you think of enshittification? So this is where you have an established community or uh, yeah, uh, various online forums that might have been running for a long time, and they sort of go bad because eventually, I don't know, private equity people come in and try to squeeze every dollar out of them. Uh, is it something you've seen? Oh, look, we're not going to talk about big uh, social platforms. That's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking more about yeah. um, communities that might have existed for a very long time around certain technologies or certain companies that go bad. Have you seen that? Have you personally seen that happen? And what can you do to stop it happening? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it does happen and i think it's uh it's an evolution of inshittification um as opposed to usually an overnight thing such a great word uh, i just yeah. i have to say <laughs> yeah i love it uh it's a gradual change um and usually 9 times out of 10 what happens that i've seen is that um a community or devrel function that was 
generating good results that was up and running gets moved into another team. And then the mm. team lead of that team um, has a different set of priorities. Um, and, uh, and, and I think a lot of that is massively dependent on that team lead and the expectations set by the leadership of the company. Um, that's the main time that tends to happen. And I think we need to be careful with this because one thing that concerns me in DevRel is um, I, I've met a lot of people over the years who say, I will never, ever work in a marketing team or I will never, ever work uh, with sales. And okay. nine times out of 10, that's just outright ignorance because uh, you can't make a broad brush statement like that for all marketing teams or all sales teams. There are great marketing and sales leaders out there who really get DevRel and understand it. So I think it really depends on the team that you're talking to. If you are, are working for a, if you are going to be moved into a marketing team and there is plenty of evidence to suggest that that marketing leader um, does not value DevRel, considers other things to be more and more important um, focal point for budget and resourcing, you might as well start looking for another job because it isn't going to work out well um, unless sure. that marketing leader has got marching orders from the founders or from the CEO that this has to be a, a core function of the business. Um, and even then, that won't get you that far. Like it, you need someone who really understands the value of this. So I see. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned the senior leadership, the CEO, and people like that because. I see a newer generation of companies now um, where the founders and often the CEO is very much leading the developer relations function. Yeah. Uh, so to, to literally name someone, right? Uh, uh, Matteo Kalina at Platformatic, he's on Twitch. He's on, he's writing blog posts. He's doing open source. Um, he's, yep. he's, he's, you know, as well as being one of the founders, he's one of the core developer advocates. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fantastic when when yeah. founders do that, especially like technical founders, um, because I think so much of the early culture of the company is forged there, and and the early culture of the dev devrel community is forged there as well. The tricky thing is that that will ultimately come to an end at some point when that person has to go and actually, you know has to lead building out the broader company. Like you can do that when you're less than 10 people, but when you've got 300 people working for you, your days are going to be spent in other things, unfortunately. So there's spreadsheets. usually kind of a yep. Yeah, spreadsheets and <laughs> HR yeah. and Fuck two compliance. All, <laughs> <laughs> all, that, all that fun stuff. I wonder, is it possible yeah. though? I mean, could you preserve your could you preserve your 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 position and say, you know, perhaps perhaps that effectively be, you become a figurehead i mean you'd have to give up executive control but i think there's kind of two angles to this in my mind like one is what do you as a human being enjoy and get your energy from because i think we as human beings it's important that we mm. figure out what we get energy from and we enrich our lives with that whether it's devrel or whether it's family or music or you know progressive vegetarian grindcore, whatever you're into, you know, um, ACDC, um, ACDC <laughs> which many of us get energy from. Um, but then the other element is, I think the cold hard reality of a business is where can you have the most impact with 
your skills and expertise and talents, right? So if you're the if you're a technical founder and you form a, found a company and you're the CEO, let's say you've got a co-founder, um, and you've received a round of funding and you're focusing on go, you know, kind of product market fit and and building out the the, the de- you know the community and hiring. Should you be Twitch streaming, um, or should your talents be spent elsewhere? And it's a really tough one because it should really be both. Um, but other people could do the Twitch streaming, but only you can make those decisions for your company because of the nature of being a leader. And I think that's that's where I know a lot of founders really struggle with going through that journey. And it's it's primarily a lot of VCs help them through that journey where they say like, this is just part of part of building a business, right? Like I, I learned this with my own company and my business coach was instrumental in this where I was, I love doing so many different things that he, um, he'd say to me, he said, look, I know you love doing this, but if you want to grow, you got to hire somebody to do that for you. Like you can't do everything, right? Yeah. Uh, he said, what are the things that you can't hire people to do? That's where you should be focusing your efforts on. Um, but it's, uh, so I like that because it makes sense, but it's also very unromantic to have that viewpoint because <laughs> you should do yeah, it as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the same thing applies uh, if you've been working as a developer advocate and you're, you're then asked to lead a DevRel team, right? Because yeah, that's totally. a little management role. Um, and I, know, I know and I've had quite a few on, on this podcast. Um, and you, you do get the feeling sometimes they do miss the, you know, do... <laughs> Conference-driven development, as we call it, where yep. there's a new feature and you got to get it out by the conference. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you you, you kind of miss that excitement, um, and, and instead you're you know you're stuck in a world of one-on-ones and three sixty reviews and that type of thing. Um, I do think that there's like a real um, cognitive dissonance in a lot of people around this, which is where you love going to the conference, going to the meetups, you love being on the ground with your developers and your community members. You love the like the intimacy of that kind of work. But then um the business corporate culture, the world that we live in says, but you've got to become more and more senior. You've got to become a manager. Right. And then you've got, right. got to become yeah. a VP and an SVP and then a, C- a CEO. And my view is kind of, well, fuck all of that. Like, mm. do what you love doing. I remember when I was at Canonical, there were these two guys, Scott James Remnant and Colin Watson, who were like remarkably talented um, engineers. And um, I worked in the uh, engineering management team with a bunch of other people. Uh, and they were asked to become engineering managers, even though I was like running the community at Canonical. Um, I sat on the engineering management team, which was honestly the best possible place it could have sit, sat. Um, and they came into the job. And what I really, really admire about Scott and, and Colin was that they did it for about three or four months. And then they were like, we don't yeah. like this. Yeah. We want to go back to doing what we were doing. Um, and I remember chatting with Scott about this. And he said, like, it was kind of a tough decision doing that because your intuition is telling you that you've you got to climb the ladder. And I really admire people who say, you know, what? I don't want that. Like, I'm not interested in that. And they prioritize their happiness. Yeah, it's a totally valid option um, because there is concern. The reason I bring it up is, is there is concern in general community about what the career path is because 
doesn't seem like yeah. a great way to the CEO's desk, right? No, you be a, okay, yeah, really you can isn't. lead a team of five people. <clears throat> that's a big DevRel team. Yep. Where do you go next? Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, maybe you don't go anywhere next. Maybe you just do DevRel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. I agree. Like, I, I think there's an element of, you know what? Do what you want to do. And they're, they're really, I mean, they're like, I, I agree with you. Like, they're, they're really, there are very, very few DevRel people who report into the CEO directly. Uh, and there is no, there is an unlikely pathway to being on the senior executive team at a company when you work in DevRel. Mm. But maybe this step up then, if you want to keep climbing the ladder, is that you run customer success or marketing or one of these broader groups of which then multiple teams of which DevRel is one of them reports into you. Maybe that's the pathway. Yeah. But again, I would, I would, I would, I would posit only do that if you really would enjoy that work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it, it could really suck for you otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not speaking from experience at all there. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been really enlightening. A uh, bunch of stuff yeah, thank that you. I can apply to our own communities, but um, also reassuring in a way, right? Because I think a lot of people have been a little stressed about the career recently. Yeah. And it's nice to know. Maybe it's it's just okay. Just do your job and have fun and get to meet yeah. all sorts of funky developers, strange conferences and meetups. How bad? Well, and the one final thing I would say on that note is um, I, I think one of the challenges of the uh, the culture that we live in today where we, we have just such a rich availability of, of information, like you've got podcasts like this and you've got YouTube channels and books and and all kinds of information, like we are not starved for information. Um, and it can be information overload and it can cause decision-making paralysis. And it can put too much pressure on us to have to make these kinds of decisions. And I would just argue, like, just, just take it a month at a time. Just see how you feel. Like, if you are happy right now doing what you're doing, then keep doing what you're doing. And if you start feeling little pangs of like, oh, I wouldn't mind being like my boss, right? Whether it's in the company or somewhere else and climbing up, then go ahead and do it. Like, I don't think we have to have all the answers. The one good news I think of getting older, I mean, I don't know how old you are, um, Richard, but I'm, I just turned 44, is um, life has a, a way of making these answers easier to understand. Like at 44 years old, I couldn't care less about status. Like it's meaningless. And in yeah. fact, the people who pursue status, from my experience, are often the most unhappy people out there. Um, it's the people who just really have dialed in what they love and they stick to what they love and they surround themselves with people with good energy. Those are the happiest people. 40, 47. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I care about these days are avoiding, try, trying to avoid bifocals. For as long as I was going to say <laughs> bladder control. <laughs> Glass on, well, yeah, well, let's not go there. Glasses on a string—that's the problem. Um, I, <laughs> you see, we're 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 chill about it. We don't need we don't need status anymore. Who needs that? No, we've, um, we've turned into those old guys from the Muppets who complain in the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that is the destiny of, of every. Uh, I don't know. Well, every dad, anyway. Uh, right. Thank you so much. This has been fabulous. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me back on. Take care. Good luck. Have fun. Cheers. Thanks. Have fun. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. 
you can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgeek.com podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgeek.com newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgeek. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.